Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, uh, and today we have a little different scenario for you. Uh, I am actually switching the mic. We're having a mic switch today, and one of my guests from an earlier episode, Angela Kusak, is going to be interviewing me today about my new book, Strong for Performance. So I'm so excited, Angela, that you asked to do this because I have so enjoyed all of our conversations and I know this will be a rich and fun one also. So let's get started. Wonderful. Well, hello, everyone. I am Angela Cusack and it's wonderful to be your host for today's episode with Meredith Bell. Meredith, I know that our listeners know a lot about you. But if there was one important key thing that maybe they don't know about you, some little secret, what might that be? Oh, that's such a great question. You don't even know this, Angela. (laughs) (laughs) In high school, for the first two years, Mark Hamill of Luke Skywalker fame was in our high school. And he and I became good friends. And one of the things that I always knew about him is he loved acting. He was in Mm -hmm. all the school musicals and plays. And so when he first started um, acting and I saw him in some bit parts on TV, I was very excited for him. But then when Star Wars came out, it was like, oh my gosh, he made it big time. And of course, you know, it's history now how big time it really was. Yeah, that's amazing. And I always find it so enjoyable to get to know a little bit behind the scenes of the people that I have a chance to be engaged with. And I know that your listeners are super excited to learn that special little nugget about you. So we're going to take that discovery and jump right into the conversation about this new book that you have just authored called Strong for Performance. And I'm curious what prompted you to put this out in the world? It came from, gosh, more than 25, 30 years of experience working with organizations, first as a consultant, and then the last 26 years uh, as a software company where mm. we have tools, assessment and development tools that help people become more effective, achieve higher levels of performance. And what we had found over the years, both with the training we used to do for leaders and team building, and then as people used our initial assessment tool, is that while folks would get really positive and excited after attending a training class or after getting feedback, that positive feeling didn't last. Mm -hmm. And so, we started doing some studying and realized every year billions of dollars are spent by organizations for learning and development programs that don't 
really have the lasting mm -hmm. impact they hope they will. Yeah. They, so we've learned over all these years what it takes to make that happen. And mm. I've realized in conversations with many people in organizations of all sizes, as well as many consultants, that a lot of folks just aren't aware of what these pieces are that bring about that desired change. And so I wanted to just put into book form, you know, kind of empty my head of all the things that we've learned over the years. And I blended that with stories, examples, so that it became real for people. And it's not academic. It's just everyday language, plain talk about what's really going on. Yeah. And I found that when I read the book. And as you know, I work with a lot of organizations and have shared your book with them. And they are finding themselves going, ah, oh, that's it. That's what the real stumbling block is to the point that you just made about why aren't things sticking? But even before that, I'm curious, what do you see are the real pain points that organizations have around creating, as you call it, this coaching culture? Well, part of the problem is we all come to work having learned interaction skills that may or may not serve us very well. So a lot of what's going on in creating the problems is people simply don't know how to do mm -hmm. things like give each other feedback, resolve differences. And so depending on what they have brought into the workplace from their own backgrounds, what they've mm -hmm. picked up on the street, they may or may not be very effective in the way that they are interacting with each other. So that's mm -hmm. a huge issue. It's just the ability to communicate, build bonds with others. Because the other thing that can happen in an organization, as you well know, is politics and bureaucracy. And so there can be this jockeying for position mm -hmm. yes. and desire to get an edge over someone else or look good in a meeting or you know, there's just so many things, so many dynamics that go into creating issues that can fester for mm -hmm. years as people build up these beliefs about each other, about themselves that then come into play when they interact with each other. So that's wow, a yeah. huge part of it. Yeah. And so how does the work that you've been doing all this time and you've discovered and you put down in this wonderful guide, what is, what would you say is the most salient aspect of this process, this three-step process that you reference that you feel is like non-discretionary, non-trivial and so critical and important that when organizations, organizations I work with miss it, they will always get themselves tripped up like, you know, they've got their untied tennis yes. shoe or work shoe and they fall and they break their arm. Yes. So what happens is so many organizations will invest a lot of money bringing in, let's say, an outside speaker that has a fabulous reputation for, you know, getting the troops all wound up and excited or just have very skilled facilitators internally. Mm -hmm. are, you know, just get a, a 10 out of 10 for their presentation skills. But what's overlooked 
oftentimes is that follow-up afterwards. Hmm. What's required in order for people to maintain, not just maintain the enthusiasm, because they can stay enthusiastic, but to actually become better at whatever the skill was that was introduced. So hmm. what's missing is this opportunity for practice, oh. mastery. And if you think of any skill that we learn over time, whether it's learning how to ride a bike, hit a golf club or a tennis racket or play the piano or violin, all of that requires practice and feedback on how I'm doing and coaching mm -hmm. on how to do it better. So it's a combination of elements that come together to cause a person to make improvements. But a key piece that you were just referencing is this three-step process mm -hmm. that's required in order to rewire the brain. Because from, and then this is very simple, in neuroscience, what is required for us to form any habit or skill, it doesn't matter what you call it, uh, the, for the brain it's all the same. It's building a pathway so that the cells join together to form a, a simple streamlined way of performing a specific action. Mm -hmm. and the more practice we do it, the stronger that set of connections of those cells become. And the brain even covers them up. It's sort of like wiring where you have this protective cover over the wires. This is what happens the more you practice a skill. It becomes like a super highway instead of a bumpy road. Mm. So to make that happen, you first have to identify what's the skill I want to work on. So you focus. And then the second part of that is taking action. So you're focusing on, let's just say, improving how you listen. And you want to focus on a specific aspect of listening, which is to quit interrupting because you've gotten feedback that people complain you don't let them finish their sentences, right? Right. <laughs> we have that, you know, so many folks are just in a hurry. We got to move fast. We got so many things to do. <laughs> so let's just take that specific example uh, which, by the way, my business partner, Denny, worked on years ago. So this one is near and dear to my heart because he was guilty of doing this. So, But what you have to do then is you realize, all right, I need to let people finish their sentences. I need to exercise patience. So you look for opportunities. That's step two. You take action. Where okay. can I apply this? So in this case, when you're having a conversation, if you catch yourself wanting to jump in, and interrupt the person, you just kind of hold, hold it, hold it. <laughs> and if you find yourself jumping in, well, the third step gives you the opportunity to reflect on how you did. So you ask yourself a series of questions, and it's even more powerful when you write them down. Mm. Them. So you, you focus on a specific skill or aspect of a skill you take action by practicing it in a real situation, and then you reflect on how it went. So you ask questions like, okay, so what happened? What was the sequence of events? And how did I feel about that? And why did it happen that way? What kind of motive did I have for responding as I did or for the other person saying what they did? Then the third question is, so what was the consequence of doing it that way? Did I get the outcome I hoped for or did it not turn out as well as I wished it would have? 
And then you think about, all right, so what would I want to change? And the final question is, what am I going to do in the next 48 hours to apply mm. this? So it's a three-step process, but it's, you know, when you go to the gym, you don't just go to the gym one time, work out and say, I'm done. And that's sort of like what we're dealing with here. When you want to become a better listener, you don't just do it right in one situation and say, I got it. You practice it over and over and over again. And the more you practice it, the more you learn from those experiences, if you take time to reflect and then you get that process down and it becomes more comfortable. It becomes your natural way of doing it. But it's the challenge is when we're trying to switch from an old way of how we mm -hmm. used to do it to the new way, we can actually get worse before we get better. Oh, that's an because important we've got point. competition going on there from the old way that we want to do it to trying to concentrate on the new way. And so we can end up, you know, not, and that can be discouraging for people. And we call that the crunch point when you're just ready to say, you know, it isn't worth it. I just don't think I'm going to be able to do this very well. So um, the willingness to stick with it and not give up is really important as we're learning to practice. Well, you know, Meredith, as you were just sharing, it struck me that it's, it's um, you know, it's like I learn how to drive a car, right? Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, I have to adjust my mirror and I, I know I have to do these things and turn on the switch and like everything is in the conscious. It's always in my sort of forefront, right? In my awareness. And then one day, it's no longer there. And I think that's really what you're kind of pointing to in terms yes. of the habit. Now, if I get into that same car, but now, or a different car, and that car is a stick shift, I can't drive it the same way, right? So I have to go back and be a very aware and very conscientious about, oh, I have to press in here and I got to shift here. And that crunch time is at the moment of saying, Gosh, I either want to learn how to drive a manual stick shift or I just want to keep doing my automatic yes. way of doing and behaving. When you find yourself in organizations, Meredith, um, with Denny and, and whoever else that you are partnering with them in those organizations, how do you help them want to move into wanting to drive the stick shift in contrast to just going back to doing things the way they were? Because you know what? listening in that way is just who I am. Well, yes. The thing to review then are the negative consequences that caused you to want to change in the first place. Mm. So something was happening that caused you to say, I need to do things differently. I'm not getting the results I want with my old way. <laughs> yeah. And so part of it is reminding yourself what your, of your why, you know, what's my purpose? Mm. Sure. And so in an organization, you know, that comes down to individuals making that decision that, yes, we want to be a more high-performing team. We don't want to let these arguments, dis disagreements, whatever, lack of sharing of resources, whatever those negatives are that are interfering and causing us to not get mm -hmm. the results we want, we need to rec remember those and say, we want to get past that. We, there's a better future that we envision that we want to get to. And so that's a, an important aspect of this. When I think about with, um, 
with Denny changing his listening skills, we worked out a way to be, and this is one of the other elements in the book that I talk about, to build a coaching culture requires people having a support system. So Ah, if Denny interrupted us and we said, oh, there you go again, you know, that would not have been helpful to him. So what we worked out with him was a couple of signals that would give him a cue to catch himself. And one of them was to simply hold up my hand if I felt like he was interrupting me. The other thing was to say in a very nice way, please let me finish. And that would be a reminder to him, "Mm, did it again. So if we can work out some ways with people that care about us making progress and uh, enlisting their support, that's huge. And it also helps to have an accountability coach with us. Uh, And that can be one person who just checks in with us to make sure we're following through on our commitments and offer us encouragement if we're having a bad day or we've not done things the way we hoped we would have. That's important because to me, an accountability coach is not someone, you know, cracking the whip over you. It's someone who really cares about seeing you do well. And so they're there to support you, but also to, you know, kind of keep them in the back of your mind. I'm going to need to report to this person and I'll make sure I have done what I said I was going to do. Yeah. And, you know, you just, uh, for me, really elevated a different way of even giving consideration to the word accountability. You know, I'm following up because I care, not because I got you or thinking I'm going to get you in some way. And, you know, I noticed that inside of organizations, really just breaking that mindset of accountability is about caring. We're both responsible. I have a responsibility and you have a responsibility. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's, that's wonderful. So as you, as we think about organizations, right? So you've given wonderful example of Denny and it being about an individual, let's say inside of a company, if an organization wants to really take on what you're offering in this book and spread it across the organization, like, what is necessary for the we to really manifest in the way in which you described earlier about Denny as an individual? Mm-hmm. Great question. So in the book, I have a roadmap, basically a four okay. stop points. The first one is to assess. So you can find out what, what are the areas we're already really strong in and what are those areas individually or as a group where we want to improve? And so I think that's a key point because if you don't know what you want to address, it's really hard to come up with a plan to make those improvements. So the assessment is the first piece. The second step then is uh, learning how to do well those things that were identified as needing improvement. So this could be in the form of a training class, um, some, any kind of really learning and development experience where people are exposed to the information that's going to help them realize, oh, that's what that looks like. So it's getting the knowledge, but not yet the experience, the, the, the in-depth practice. And that's sure. what this third step is all about, which is the follow-through, 
what are we going to put in place that's going to allow us to actively practice what we learned, support each other. So having that support system, having an accountability coach and receiving ongoing feedback about how we're doing, because that's the other piece mm-hmm. that's often missing when people attend some kind of a training program is, so who's going to be checking to see how it's going? And, and I think uh, Marshall Goldsmith <laughs> said uh, in his wonderful book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, he had this idea of feed forward. And that's what we're really talking about, to find out, am I making improvements? And what would you like to see me do differently going forward? so that I really nail this skill that I'm working on. So it's keeping people in the loop and actively or proactively approaching them to ask, how am I doing with this? You know, are you seeing some improvements? What would you like to see me do differently? So that you've got that information to help you know, am I getting closer? You know, am I coming through? Am am I really seeing notches of improvement. So that ongoing feedback is really important. And a lot of folks aren't used to asking for that. You know, it's like, I don't know if I want to hear what other people have to say, but the truth is we can't grow and learn because our perceptions are distorted. You know, we might think, hey, I'm doing great. And other people are going, uh, not so fast. That's right. <laughs> you know, That's right. not quite the way you're, you're seeing it because here's what I'm experiencing. Yeah. Without judging, criticizing, and blaming. And I think that's all part of developing that coaching culture is people learning how to give feedback, share information with others so that they don't get, they don't trigger defensiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other person, and it's all based on trust. You know this, Angela. If, if I don't trust that you really care about me, I'm going to naturally tend to get defensive mm-hmm. when you start to tell me something that I'm doing that you don't care for. Yet, if I know that your motive is to really be helpful to me so that we can work in a more collaborative way, I'm more likely to set aside my ego, yes. be open to what you have to say, even be curious to find out what else you might have to share that would be helpful for me. And you can just feel the difference, even as I'm saying those words. Oh, you? my goodness. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like I feel helpful. warm and helpful and supported. And yes, we're in this together. Is really... Um, what came up for me as I listened to the power behind that. It makes a huge difference when as a group, our team feels that way compared to, you know, the last time I confided in this person or was open with this person, they used that information against me in Mm -hmm. another situation. And so it, it takes time. Trust Mm -hmm. is not instant. That in itself is a practice, you know, engaging in behaviors that cause people to feel you are trustworthy and that they feel, you know, comfortable trusting you with information that they share. Yeah. Beautifully said. I am also just before we start to wrap things up, because I know we're getting to that point, 
but I, I noticed that in your sharing that I, I uh, kind of heard, but not directly stated, so I really would love for you to speak to it, is the interdependency between a leader and somebody and their, and their direct report. You know, it tends to be in most cultures where feedback is given, the leader, the supreme, is giving feedback to their direct report. And yet in, your, in this reading, right, in your book, you really talk about the feedback and the support and development goes both ways. And it struck me as I read it and as I shared it with others that there's this real important interdependency that is present. It isn't one way. Can you talk just a little bit more about that? Because to me, that really is what really clenches and makes this book and what you're offering so powerful. Yes. It, well, and this whole idea of coaching culture to me means everyone, no matter what their position, feels comfortable mm -hmm. being open and honest with their immediate supervisor that person's manager, when there's something that is of concern, or they have something positive to share, you know, mm -hmm. it goes both ways. They feel like it's okay and safe to be honest with that person and say, you know, I was really unhappy or upset when you said this to me because it sounded like you were criticizing that. So just the ability to speak up rather than walk around with hurt feelings, resentment, right. you know, talking to everybody else on the team <laughs> about it, but never addressing it with the actual individual who created the quote offense, right? Yeah. And so it's, and, and to me, that's what real leadership is all about is being willing to create an environment that makes it safe for everybody to be honest with each other with a willingness to be open and not be afraid of having somebody point out something they've done wrong because nobody's perfect. And in fact, be able to apologize and, you know, ask more questions to find out what would you like me to do instead. So it's truly a learning opportunity for everyone. And that way, if the leader does come to an employee to bring up a concern, it's received so much differently because it is more of this sense of collaboration and caring. You know, if we can say the word love, you know, if people really feel cared about in a deep way, it's enormous the change, the atmosphere that's created in terms of how people want to engage in their work. And everybody just needs to think about one person that you've worked with in the past that you would have just gone the extra mile and then said, what else can I do because of how they made you feel about yourself. Gosh. And that's what we're really talking about, feeling cared about. Gosh, Meredith, this, um, I invite the listeners to pause this recording, this podcast right now. And use the opportunity for just a couple of minutes and answer the question that Meredith just asked, like put that person in the forefront of your mind and notice the sensations that you just experienced. I know as you spoke, Meredith, it happened for me like that. Mm. And that image of that individual is as you described, I felt cared for. I felt like it was an environment of safety. I felt that I could go to him and say, 
you know what? Here's some feedback for you. And in relationship to that, what might I have done that would have caused that experience that I had? And it was a game changer. Um, so I got to say that the timing of your book being released, I know was just coincidental with where our world is today. What I also know is that this book and what you're offering um, from the assessment all the way through the practice of you know, learning, learning situations virtually at this point that you all would be doing with teams and then supporting them in the application part of that, the loop, right, that you talked about so beautifully is so important more today than when you were actually writing the book. And I, I'm hoping that you've gotten that feedback from others because it is a brand new experience for people who are working virtually or partially virtually. And these elements are so fundamental to being organized and reorganizing yourselves to have a strong for performance culture, a coaching culture. So is there anything else that strikes you that you would love to have the listeners be left with? Just that uh, when I finished this book and I was getting comments from some initial readers before it was actually published, it reinforced to me how important mm. these concepts are because I thought, you know, I was making a contribution, but I wasn't really prepared for the uh, abundance of, of feedback about its importance. Mm -hmm. And so that got me even more excited about getting it out there because we decided to publish it. It was March 26th, right when all these, you know, work at home restrictions were being put in place. And we decided to go forth anyway, because as you just said, the timing of it is really critical because the concepts in there apply so beautifully to people working from home and and organizations can really continue those learning and development initiatives even as people work remotely and it's even more critical to build up these strong teams and have a sense of strong team even when they are you know not together and so, yes, the book and then our two tools, the assessment side and the online development, both work together to build up that strong team. So I'm even more excited than I was before about the opportunities to really help organizations because that's really been our goal from day one with our company is to help people become stronger and that's why the name Strong for Performance helped them become stronger so they're equipped with those communication skills, with those core strengths like courage and perseverance, so they can thrive in whatever environment they are working in and contribute in as high a way as possible and at the same time feel amazingly fulfilled as human beings because of the contributions they're making and the way they're appreciated for their efforts. Well, Meredith, thank you so much for doing a mic switch and giving your listeners a chance to get to know you better and what is your company is really all about because every one of your podcasts speak to this strong for performance 
concept, right? Bringing other people's voices, what they're up to in the world as it relates to changing the way leaders lead and corporations and companies create their cultures. And so we are also, on behalf of everyone, we are so very grateful and thankful that you started this journey 20 some odd years ago and that it has all culminated at this most beautiful point in time. And again, just thank you so much for being vulnerable and putting yourself out there for your listeners to learn. And ideally they are getting pretty excited and wondering, well, Meredith, where do I get my hands on this book? (laughs) And of course the answer is you can order it on Amazon. Uh, And the other thing we've done though, is on our website, growstrongleaders.com, we make it possible for you to order a copy that I sign and send to you personally. So I would be delighted to do that for um, folks who are listening. We have an order form there and uh, it's the same price as Amazon plus just a little bit to cover postage. So I would love to send someone a, uh, a personal copy of the book. That would be my pleasure. Oh my gosh. What a wonderful treat that would be to have the listeners you know, get that beautiful book and your personal note to them. And if they wanted to learn more about the assessment and really diving into training and things like that, how's the best way for them to reach out to you? Well, I am most active on LinkedIn. So that's a good place to please connect with me and mention the podcast when you send your connection request. Also on our website, growstrongleaders.com, we have an area for corporate folks and an area for consultants and coaches to learn how they can use our tools, either inside their companies or with their clients. So that's the best place to really go. And they also will find a link to my podcast there if they want to hear other episodes. Wonderful. Well, Meredith, thank you so much. Um, I know our listeners are going to be knocking down your door to get that copy. (laughs) So I will sign off and say thank you for giving me the opportunity to play hostess. Oh, Angela, thank you for wanting to do this. It has been so much fun. You are so wonderful at this role. (laughs) I appreciate the chance to share with you. You're welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.